You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Love Talk Live. I'm your host, Jamie Bronstein, and today I have with me Ariel Ford. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to interview you. I read Soulmate Secret one of your 11 books, um, about 10 or 11 years ago. I, I've been married for about eight years and I met my husband kind of shortly after I read your book. So good job. Um, and it just, it was very life changing for me. And so, and the work that I do is I, as everybody knows, I help people manifest love as well. So I'm so excited to just ask you your take on, everything that has to do with manifesting love and then keeping your love when we have it. So let's read first. I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about Arielle Ford, who's extraordinary. So she is an author, speaker, and relationship expert. Arielle Ford is a love and relationship expert and a leading personality in the personal growth and contemporary spiritual movement. For the past 25 years, she has been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. Her mission is to help people find love, keep love, and most importantly, be love. Arielle is a gifted writer and the author of 11 books, including the international bestseller, The Soulmate Secret, Manifest the Love of Your Life with the Law of Attraction. She is also the author of Turn Your Mate into Your Soulmate, devoted to exploring a simple, fun, and effective way to attain groundbreaking shifts in perception so that you can embrace and find the beauty and perfection in your in yourself and your mate. She has been called the Cupid of Consciousness and the Fairy Godmother of Love. She lives in La Jolla, California with her husband slash soulmate Brian Hilliard and their feline friends. And her website, her newsletter is soulmatesecret.com. And you can get free dating guide at arielfor.com slash kiss. However, we will definitely get into you plugging away um, later on. Um, So my first question for you is, my my first question actually is, what's your definition of a soulmate? However, I'm just curious, how did you, like when you were a little girl, were you like, I'm going to write a book about manifesting love? Do you want to like... Can you just tell the audience a little bit about how did we get here? How did we get here? Yeah, well, listen, it was completely unpredictable that I, at some point in my life, would become a love and relationship expert. It was never, ever on my to-do list. Um, I grew up in a home with two parents who absolutely hated each other uh, and fought all the time and uh, didn't have any idea of what a great relationship looked like. And went on to grow up, do a lot of writing. I had a very excellent career as a book publicist and a literary agent. And I worked with all the biggest names in self-help for many years. Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Marianne Williamson, Don Miguel Ruiz. They were all my clients. I loved my life. I loved my business. But what happened was that one morning, I was about 43 years old. I woke up really early. I was lying in bed with my eyes closed and I was feeling around the bed looking for my 25 pound cat. 
and the cat wasn't there. But what I noticed was that there was this huge empty space in the bed next to me. And I had this moment where basically I said, oh shit, I forgot to get married. And I decided that that had to change. And so I started to really do sort of a deep dive. Well, how could I be 43, living in Beverly Hills, super successful business, lots of friends, travel, life was great, but I was all alone. And I was, I was in great shape. I looked really good. I knew lots of people, but I was all alone. So I thought, well, you know, I've been using this law of attraction stuff to build my business for years. What if I applied it to mm -hmm. my love life? And I had no idea if it was going to work, but I made a list of nine pages long of every prayer process, ritual, woo-woo, dancing naked under the moon thing I'd ever done to make all my dreams come true. And I systematically began to apply them to my love life. And to make a very long story somewhat shorter, in less than a year, I manifested the most perfect soulmate life partner doing everything I'd always done. And in a few months, we'll have our 24th anniversary. So that's how I got to that point. Now, of course, I got married. We actually had three weddings. We had amazing weddings. Of the, one of the weddings, uh, Kenny Loggins was a client of mine. He became our wedding officiant and our wedding singer. Oh, oh my God. But after I got married. Every Wait, what song did he sing? Did he sing a song? He sang a bunch of songs from the Unimaginable Life album. And one of the songs was Unimaginable Life. And the other was my all-time favorite Kenny song, which a lot of people don't know, called Sweet Reunion, which is mm. about soulmates crossing time and finding each other again. Beautiful song. I'm going to check it out. Okay, so go yeah. on. And, um, and all the single women over 40 that I knew started asking me, well, how do I get a Brian? I want to do what you did. How did you do it? So I would tell them. And then sometime later, they'd call me up. Oh, it really worked. It really worked. I can't wait for you to meet him. I met my soulmate. But I had no intention of teaching or writing a book until one day I was um, on a cruise with my sister and 300 of her coaching students. And she like called me up on the stage and said, tell everybody how you manifested your soulmate. So for 45 minutes, I just rattled on and on about what I'd done. And when it was over, two of the three, 200 of the 300 people like rushed me and said, I've got to have that book. I want to do what you did. And at that point, I had already written several books, but not about love. Mm. And I mentioned it to my publisher who said, absolutely. And the next thing I knew, I had an international best-selling book called The Soulmate Secret. And then the phone started to ring and Esalen and Omega and 1440 and the Chopra Center and all these places were calling, come teach, you know, come teach people how to be a soulmate. So I never intentionally sat down and made a game plan and said, I'm going to become a love expert. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Um much to my surprise, because I had always been the behind the scenes person. I didn't have any strong desire to be on stage or to be in front of the camera. But I found that helping people with their love life was so much fun and so rewarding and so creative. And then it just became this. 
and I can't complain because I'm still amazed that I get, I make a living talking about love. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I love your story, especially because like I always say, you plan and God laughs. So you thought you were going to be this publicist. Maybe you thought you're going to be this publicist forever or who knows, but this was just not in your plan at all. Like, when you were a little girl, you just did not imagine this being part of your life. I And if had you told me, even if you'd showed me video proving it to me, I would have told you you were absolutely crazy, you know, because as far as I was concerned, I knew nothing about love. And that's true. I didn't. But once, you know, I'm kind of a great student. <laughs> so once I decided, oh, I need to understand this. Uh, I just dove right in. And that's what happened right after I got married. Because up until that point, my focus was find the soulmate. It never occurred to me that I had no partnership skills and that I could lose the soulmate because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So at that point, I decided to become a student of love and ended up writing books about, okay, here's how you find love. Finding love so easy. It's the easy part. Keeping love that's a whole other skill set. So I wrote a book called Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate. And basically, I was doing the research so I could learn for myself. And anything I learned, I road tested. And then eventually, I had this humongous amount of stuff that I knew worked. And I shared it in other books. Well, the best way to teach is when we've experienced something experientially, when we've experienced something in our own lives. And so you were the best teacher to teach how to attract your soulmate. And then I love that you went on to become a student and learn how to keep that soulmate. And then you experientially did these experiments and lived it and it worked. And then, then you taught that. So this brings me, because we have these two, these two main topics of manifesting love and how to keep your soulmate. So, well, not how to keep your soulmate, because if it's your soulmate, you'll keep them. But I just have lots of questions. Well, actually, I would disagree with that. Okay. So let's talk about what a soulmate is. Because yes. Thank you. Thank things, you. Everybody has a different idea of what a soulmate yes. is. What so is your definition? I believe that a soulmate is first and foremost, somebody you can completely be yourself with, somebody with whom you share unconditional love. And when you look into their eyes you have the experience of being loved. They feel like mm. home to you. Yes. And for those listeners that are single, the really good news is even if you don't have a romantic partner today, you already have a lot of soulmates in your life. People who fit that, dis that description, somebody you can be yourself with, somebody with whom you share unconditional love. When you look into their eyes, you have the feeling of being home. So it could be your parents, your siblings, your your kids, your cats, your dogs, your neighbors, your coworkers, all of those can be soulmates. Now, I specifically work on finding a romantic soulmate. But what happens in the law of attraction is when you're focused on what you don't have, like you would say, I don't have a soulmate. Love is missing from my life. The only thing the universe can give you is more of the feeling of not having more mm -hmm. of the feeling of missing. So it's really important that you first embrace all the love you already have. 
Fill yourself up with the love you already have. Acknowledge, oh my God, I'm the luckiest girl in the world. I have such an abundance of love. And dear universe, I'm looking forward to having my romantic soulmate. So it's a mindset thing in manifesting love, which requires that you get out of the pity party of I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too damaged, all the good ones are taken, online dating doesn't work for me, blah, 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 blah. You know, because as long as you live in that story, the only thing you get to be is right, lonely mm -hmm. and right. Yes. Well, you're speaking to what I say is that the universe gives us what we focus on. So if we're focusing on what we don't have, then the universe is going to bring us more of that. And then also gratefulness of just focusing on what we do have. And then the universe will bring us more of that. So it absolutely works, obviously. It's just not me and you. This is this is um, many more people in this world teach this stuff, and it is real, and it is it happens, and it's happening for everybody, for a lot of people every day. Um, so one of the things that you talk about is that. Well, the question is, how many soulmates do you think you can have? How many romantic soulmates do you think you can have in your lifetime? Or do you think there's yeah. just one? Okay, so I actually believe that some soulmate relationships do come with an expiration date. And that expiration date can be a breakup. It can be a divorce. It can be a death. And it doesn't mean the 5 or 10 or 25 years you spent with them that they were not your soulmate. Or that they're still not your soulmate. It just means the form of that particular relationship has now changed. So this whole thing, well, I thought he was my soulmate and then he cheated on me and then we got divorced. And so you're discounting the 14 years leading up to the problem and probably not taking any responsibility for what happened on the way to the problem. But that's your job as a therapist to deal with that. But um, I do believe we can have lots of soulmates. And I know one woman who has outlived. In fact, after I talk to you today, I'm talking to her. She just buried her third soulmate. You know, she's mm -hmm. the first one died when when he was 36. So and she's now close to 80 and she's dating again. You know, so there's no shortage of love in the world. And that's really if I had any one thing I wanted to beat into somebody's head today is that there's no shortage of love in the world. Just like in our country, there's no shortage of clean water to drink, fresh air to breathe or gravity. There's no shortage of love. There's no shortage of love. There's no shortage of great conscious potential partners out there. The only thing there's a shortage of is a willingness to be really proactive and to become visible and to do what it takes to meet somebody because you can't meet somebody sitting home alone, not being on video dates, you know, not trying. You just, because I know Jeff Bezos may do this Sunday, but right now Amazon One Click does not deliver soulmates. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Maybe yeah, someday a drone will come and drop one at your door. Yeah. But until now, right? There's lots of other ways to do it. Someday you'll just put something into a computer, and then it will be a robot and. We don't want that. <laughs> I don't know be one of those home printers. What do they call those things? 3D what? printers? Yeah, 3D printer. I mean, AI is getting to the point where that could happen. Scary. We want, we want real human, warm-blooded people. 
Um, yeah. So one of the things you just talked about was abundance mode. And I agree that there is, there's an abundance, you know, you're never too old. All the guys are not taken. I always say that, that we came to this world. There's a lid for every pot. There is someone for everyone. And that is the absolute truth. And I'm, I'm Jewish. I, I, there's something called Bashir to destiny. Totally Bashir. And you're going to have to date a lot of Meshuggah guys to get there. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now, my grandmother always said there's a lid for every pot. You know, I love that line. Yes. And but I love, but it is, it's very, um, I feel like it takes weight off of people's shoulders to talk about this concept that it's that there's not just one. Right. Because that is so much pressure. But do you believe, because this is what I believe, and um, currently, although my view on soulmates has changed, I'm almost 45 years old, my viewmate of soulmates has, my, my viewmates, my viewmates, my view of soulmates has changed as I've gotten older. Um, currently, I believe that there is, there are, there are multiple soulmates. However, do you believe that there's one that you are the most aligned with? Like Brian, you're Brian. Actually, I have a Brian also with with a Y. But with your Brian, do you feel like he's the one that you that you're most aligned with? Well, yes and no. I mean, I Brian and I have had many lifetimes together, and upon meeting, we both had memories of that. It was very woo woo and weird and out there. And then, you know, we've had Vedic astrologers tell us that you know. This was all predestined and meant to be. And I do believe a lot in destiny. That said, I also believe that there's many possibilities. So he was the right one for me at the right time, just as I was for him. Cause we, you know, I was a first time bride at 44, mm -hmm. you know, and he, he had been, he had a starter marriage in his twenties. And then I was, you know, showed up at the right time for him. So the thing about relationship is, is what do I think the single most important factor in having a successful marriage is having a shared vision for the future. Do you want the same things? Want kids? Don't want kids. Want to live by the ocean? Want to live in the mountains? Somebody like travels, one of my highest values. I could have had Brian been an agoraphobic without a passport. It would have never worked. Right. So, you know, it's it's kind of like I want to know that I'm with somebody that will do a couple of things. First and foremost, I must feel emotionally and physically safe with them. I must really feel like that they love me unconditionally, would take a bullet for me, that they're my safe place to land, that uh, that they love me on my good days and especially on my bad days that, you know, like we are like bonded as a team and that taking sacred vows actually has meaning and purpose, you know, mm -hmm. and that you can't really grow as a human being just by being in a committed relationship with somebody. You can be in a committed relationship for decades, but you can't really grow until you've taken the sacred vows that basically has you put your sword in the ground and say, I am committed to you. I will be a witness to your life. I will be there, be the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, so it's kind of like, is that the kind of relationship you want? And that's what my soul was calling for. 
I wanted to have the most deepest possible experience of love that anyone could have, as opposed to just having a really good looking travel buddy. And it, right. it's great that he's a good looking travel buddy. I was going to say, I've seen a picture. It doesn't hurt that he's good looking. <laughs> no, but he doesn't like to travel anymore. You know, luckily we had a lot of years of good travel, but he got to the point in his life where he's like, no, I'm kind of done, which I'm still working on. It's like, what do you mean you're done? I'm not done. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of love out there for everybody. But before you start looking or being receptive to love, you first have to take a look inside your own soul. What is my soul most calling for in a partner? And when I did this process, um, because I, it wasn't like I spent 43 years not dating. I dated. I had relationships. But they all sort of ended up the same, which was basically me being angry and frustrated and feeling like I couldn't get what I wanted. And when I did a postmortem on that, what I saw was that I was using my mother's list of what I was looking for in a mate. You know, he had to be yeah. tall, dark, handsome, rich, Jewish, hyper ambitious, a captain of the universe type. And that's mm -hmm. the kind of guys I dated. But the problem with the captain of the universe types, besides for the fact that most of them are narcissists, is that they have no time to be in a, a meaningful relationship. Their attention is elsewhere. And I saw that for me, the most important quality in a mate was going to be generosity. Mm. Now, not with his wallet. I was making plenty of money. Generous with his love, time, affection, attention, appreciation. I wanted somebody for whom I would be the center of their universe. And when, yes. I, yeah, when I came to that realization, I, I was very embarrassed by the whole thing as I thought, oh, God, that sounds so needy. And maybe it was, and maybe it still is, but that's what I was yearning for. I wanted to be the center of somebody's universe. And fortunately, I got somebody who is a giver. You know, he is a total giver with time and love and affection and appreciation. And he is a retired captain of the universe. He had gone down that path and found it unfulfilling. And by the time I met him, he had given up his big career to focus on philanthropic, I can't say the word today, philanthropic <laughs> efforts, you know, helping, helping the disenfranchised. Well, what you're saying, I, I would, if you look at it in a different perspective, it's, it's not being selfish, it's being selfful. And you were unconditionally loving yourself and all you were asking for was this man to come in to unconditionally love you, to prioritize you. And it's not being narcissistic. It's the opposite. It's saying, I love and respect myself enough and I know what I deserve. And so that's how you manifested your soulmate. And that's yeah. how people need to manifest their soulmate. They need to, you need to know their worth. And I, that's what you started talking about i think you were getting into how we it's the law through the law of attraction we need to love ourselves in order to bring in that well so law. the self let's talk about the self-love piece because there's yeah. a whole bunch of people in the personal develop, development world who are making a living teaching self-love courses 
And it kind of makes my skin crawl because it leaves women in particular with the sense of if I'm not totally in love with myself, then how will anybody else love me that I won't be worthy of love? And what I discovered in the process of finding love was the more that I could see and feel how much Brian loved me, the more that I loved myself. So in attachment theory, I went in, I was an anxious type. Brian was always a secure type. And by being with somebody long enough and being loved by a secure man, I have become a secure type. So mm -hmm. I would say the biggest healing and growth that has taken place in my life, and I've pretty much done every workshop, seminar, read every book and done years of therapy. The thing that healed me the most was being with my soulmate. And it was an yeah. unexpected benefit to be healed by love. I love what you're saying because the truth is that we all do have different attachment styles. And for someone who does have a secure attachment style, it might be easier for them to unconditionally love themselves because they felt that unconditional love more. So I love what you're saying because you're saying that, you know what, do the best you can with unconditionally loving yourself. And this is so interesting because on my Instagram feed, my quote yesterday, which was love heals, period. And then my quote today has to do with something that we were talking about earlier on. Don't remember what it was today. But anyhow, but I, th this is how I've always felt before I started studying this stuff that, that do the best you can, do the most you can. But then when you find love, it, it adds on to, to, it just helps. It helps you heal. Totally. Do all the healing work that you can. And then you get to a certain point and then you find your soulmate. Well, here's, here's been my experience. I'm almost 70 years old. Okay. And like I said, I've done everything there is to do in this field pretty much. And I've pretty much worked with the leaders in this field on every level. So I, I've had a front row ticket to what's available out there. And what I've discovered is we all come in with core wounds, right? No matter how much work you do on yourself, you will learn to mitigate your core wounds to a certain degree, but they never go away. Just when you think you've got your daddy issue handled or your money issue handled or whatever it is, it pops back up and you're going, oh shit, I thought I dealt with that five years ago and here it's back again. The difference is I can work through it in, you know, a 10 minute EFT tapping session, as opposed to being under the hiding under the quilt for five days, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I like people, or at least the clients that I coach is I tell them out yourself early on in the relationship, you know, be vulnerable, be authentic, share with them, whatever your issue is. And at the same time, tell them how to deal with you when you're effed up, right? When you're having a really bad day, yeah. you know, uh, you can just say to them, listen, you know, when I get into XYZ space, what will really soothe me and make me feel safe is if you do ABC. And there's not a man or a woman out there, no matter who you're with, that doesn't want you to feel good. You know, people, a lot of women are living like, you know, the guy or the girl, whoever does something that upsets them. 
and they live like, oh, he woke up this morning really looking for ways to make me miserable. Mm, right. Happen, but we respond and react as if that's true. Right. And that's victim mode. And that means that they haven't done, like when you've done the work with a coach or a therapist or the self-help, self-help books, then you're able to articulate, you know what, this is my, this is my unresolved issue. This is, I'm triggered by this. This is how I'm feeling versus people that just have no idea what's going on. And then it causes lots more problems. So I'm a big advocate in people doing that work to figure out what is the unresolved issue that I have from seventh grade or from something that- And and you can know, it's like Werner Erhard always used to say, understanding is the booby prize. Because if you've done enough therapy, we all understand where our stuff came from and why it does it, but it doesn't necessarily fix it or stop it from happening again. But it's good to understand it. It's nice to understand it, but it's not the fix. And that was- my biggest frustration when I would do these weekend workshops and I would go and so enthusiastic, oh, by Sunday at five o'clock, I'm going to have X, Y, Z handled. I'll be done. And then, at, you know, Sunday at five o'clock, it's like, oh, I better do this one all over again. I need to do more of this, you know, because I was always looking to get fixed, which is why when I discovered what I call wabi-sabi love, you know, I realized that there are parts of me that are never, that are going to be broken forever, but I could learn to love those parts mm-hmm. and, and reframe my interpretation of those parts and share those parts with me or with others, you know, with, yes. me, but with others. So um, I think that was a turning point in my life was learning to find the beauty and perfection in my imperfections and especially those of my partner. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, so many more questions. We might not get to all of them, Um, but let's go into, oh, what is, you say you have an unknown secret to relationship success. Go. Maybe you've already talked about it. Uh, No, I haven't talked about it. And and it, it comes from something I learned from the God of marriage, John Gottman, who I worship and adore. And basically what most people don't know is that Gottman has been, had this thing called the marriage lab for 50 plus years. He is the world's leading researcher on marriage. And he says that according to his research, every single couple has a minimum of nine irreconcilable differences. Irreconcilable, can't fix them. Okay. And you know, the most common one being money, which is the number one cause of divorce. And then the other typical ones are sex or uh, one person's late, one's on time, one's a clean freak perfectionist, the other one's a messy slob, parenting styles. There's lots and lots of them. And his, he's saying all couples have at least nine of these. And I remember talking to Harville Hendricks about this one day. And it's like, well, well what do you do? Okay, like, all right, yeah. I'm always late. He's on time. And he said, well, it's all about creative solutions. And I'm kind of like, huh, creative solutions? What are you talking about? So um, on on the person who's on time, the person's late, I said to him, Harville, you got to explain this to me. Tell me a story. He said, okay. He said, I'm always early, always on time. Helen's always late. And many years ago, before we had cell phones, I was sitting in a restaurant waiting for her 
and she was 10 minutes late and 20 minutes late. And then it was 25 minutes late before she came in. And by then I was just beside myself. And he goes, as soon as she sat down, I said, no need to apologize. I need to tell you a story. And he said, when I was 12 years old, I was a latchkey kid. My mother worked in the fields every day, picking fruit. I came home from school one day and at five o'clock when she normally came home, she wasn't home. At 5.30, she wasn't home. At six, at 6.30, she wasn't home. At seven o'clock, my uncle came to the door to tell me my mother had died in the fields that day. And from that day on, every time someone I love is late, I go to, oh my God, they're dead. Oh that God. was the first time his wife ever heard this story. But in that moment, she finally understood what her lateness was doing to his heart and soul. Mm. And and she said, I understand. I get it. I promise if I'm ever going to be late again, I will find a way to get a message to you. That is a creative solution. Yes. That's, he spoke his truth. He was being vulnerable. And that is, that is the key to relationship. One of the keys it's really feeling seen and heard and it's the ability to to explain why I'm feeling this way, where this comes from, and then the other person validating that. Yeah, like Brian, Brian, our big issue was money. And I didn't know the term poverty consciousness until I got married. You know, I grew up Jewish like you did. I grew up with a grandmother who lived with us who had survived the depression. Being Jewish, we have thousands of years of we're going to be, you know, on the street, starving, buried in our DNA. I had parents who hated each other. They were always fighting about money. So as a child, and I was embarrassed that we were poor on top of it. Mm-hmm. So I had all these money issues. So I now marry this guy who grew up a country club kid, very wealthy parents, got out of college, made a lot of money. And I'm hoarding all the money I'm making. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that we didn't have the money. It was the way he spent the money that I was so uncomfortable with. You know, he had never shopped a sale in his life. I had never paid retail in my life. You know, (laughs) as far as I was concerned, $15 was a good price for a bottle of wine. He wouldn't buy a bottle for under $75. And finally, you know, I was, I had so much pent up anger about the whole thing. And I said, I said, we just have to talk about this and come up with some solution because I know it's not that we don't have the money. It's just that we spend money so differently and it's making me crazy. So long story short, what we came up with was that I had to share with him all my shame and embarrassment about being poor as a kid and what it was like to come home from school to find out the water had been shut off because the bill hadn't been paid or the car had been repossessed and all the clothes I ever had had somebody else's name written in them because they had gone to camp and I never went to camp and they were hand-me-downs and all of that. And I said, here's what would make me comfortable. I said, why don't we have three bank accounts? We'll have yours, we'll have mine, and then we'll have a joint account and we won't police each other, but the joint account has a rule. And the rule is nobody spends more than $500 without buy-in from the other. And we did that for the first 16 years. <laughs> and that's how long it took me to finally realize in my thick skull that I had married a man who's financially responsible. 
Mm. And it wasn't about the amount of money that I could actually trust him to mm. know that I wasn't going to end up as a bag lady, which is my deepest core wound. But I'm like I said, I'm much better about it. It rarely surfaces anymore. But when it does, I got to I got to go breathe, you know. Well, I I've heard that Oprah still has this thing inside of her that she's worried that she's going to lose her money. These things are deep, you know, um, and so it makes sense. Like the hu human beings, I think we're fascinating. This is why I study psychology, why I do what I do. Um, but as human beings, we are totally fascinating and very complex. Okay. Um, let me see any other question that I thought was so unique. I don't want to. Um, universal law used to find a soulmate, going back a little bit, law of attraction or something different? Nope, it's law of attraction. We did that. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, what about this one? Um, you talk about being responsible for our own happiness and especially in a relationship. Yes, because we have grown up with this fantasy that this knight is going to reach down and kiss us and wake us up and make all our dreams come true and we'll live happily ever after. And it's just not the way it is. If you want to live happily ever after, you first have to figure out how to make yourself happy, be a happy person, have a happy life. And then when you find the soulmate or you hook up with the soulmate, that's the icing on the cake. Your soulmate's job is never to make you happy. They're there to be your partner, your life partner for life. They're your playmate, somebody to have a yeah. big life with but they're not responsible for your happiness. And if they're doing behavior that's making you unhappy, this is why God invented therapists and coaches. And if they're doing anything that is really bad behavior or has anything to do with violence or addiction, then for sure you need professional help. And there's plenty of good help out there, but we are first and foremost, the ones responsible for our own happiness. I 100% agree. And I feel like I would say you do need to be happy. And then the soulmate is your, the cherry on top. Like exactly. they add happiness. And I love that you just said play because my parents, they've been married for 50 years. And my mom always says that you need to be with someone who you can play with like forever. So I love and that. The, you you know, there was that big Harvard study done. There was a 75 year Harvard study done looking back on Harvard uh, not all of graduates, but a lot of Harvard graduates and other men to find out at the end of their life who were the happiest. And it wasn't the ones who had the most degrees or the most success or the most money. It's the ones who were happily married and they lived the yeah. longest and they had the best lives. You know, so a good partner, particularly for men, uh, a married, a happily married man lives seven years longer than a single man. Seven years. That's a lot of time. I believe, I, I don't know, I don't know if there's been studies, but I believe that women live longer if they're happily married. Well, the, the study they did found that happily married women are healthier. And when they do get sick, they experience less pain. Ooh. And I just saw some research this morning. I should have flagged it, but I didn't. That basically said one of the best ways to keep your partner happy is to hold hands with them as often as possible. 
that that um that physical touch it, yeah. it um the, the neurotransmitters it it's, oh that's it's, what i, I want to mention let's talk about love for a second and what love is because love's one of those crazy words where you could ask a thousand people and get a thousand definitions so for a lot of women they believe that love is a feeling you know they want they want the cocktail that's you know dripping down the sides of your brain of oxytocin and, <laughs> and adrenaline and dopamine. And it's this amazing feel good cocktail when you're in the state of being in love, but the state of being in love has nothing to do with long-term happiness or real love. It's a temporary state. It's nature's trick to get us to procreate. And it only lasts from six months to three years and then it's gone. And that's when people sort of wake up and it's like, well, who is this person? So, you know, I'm telling women, especially mature women who have emotional IQ, you don't want to pick a mate based on feelings. Yes, it's good to have good feelings, but the truth is the feelings are going to come and go. What love really is, real mature adult love, it's a behavior. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's an action. And for anybody who's ever been married to their soulmate knows there will be days when you hate this person, but it doesn't mean that you don't love them. So I call the state of being in love, the socially acceptable form of insanity. Okay. <laughs> so when you're choosing this soulmate life partner, you have to be aware of this, that those feelings are going to come and go. And then you have to choose them on, you know, is this somebody you do feel safe with? You know, is this somebody who actually cares about you and your life? Do you have a shared vision for the future? Do you have connection and compatibility and good communication, which can be learned? You know, have you met their friends and family? Now, have is, they met yours? Is this your rose-colored glasses? Well, that's a different thing. Let, oh, I don't have the new ones here. Let me show you my old ones. Okay, so. Oh, 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 you literally Oh, these are one okay. pair of rose colored glasses, but Amazon has lots of them for sale. So what they found was there was a psychologist at the University of Buffalo who did a study on couples who consciously choose to wear rose colored glasses when it comes to their mate. And what they found in the study is that these couples have longer, happier, more satisfying relationships because they're always looking for what's right instead of looking for what's wrong. Their yeah. attention is like Gottman teaches, find five things every day, five positive things to say to your mate about their behavior. When you're focused on looking for the good, you can't be observing the bad, you know? And, and there's this whole idea, it's called the Pygmalion effect, that people live up to your expectations of them. And I'll tell you a quick story about some, uh, there was a study done in the 1930s with second grade school teachers. And at the start of the school year, three teachers were taken aside. And the first teacher was told, oh, Mrs. Jones, all of your students have above average IQ this year. Lucky you. Second teacher, oh, Mrs. Smith, we tested all your students. They all have average IQ. Third teacher, oh, you know, Mrs. Conway, we tested your students and unfortunately, all of your students have below average IQs. And at the end of the school year, what they discovered was that 
all the students where the teacher thought they had above average IQ, all had straight A's. The average students mm -hmm. were all average. And the ones where she was lied to and told they were, had below average IQs were all failing. People live up to your expectations. So it's your job as an equal partner in the relationship to raise the bar for yourself and for your partner. I love that. I love it. I love that. Thank you so much. Um, okay. We are running out of time, but my, my last question is what would you say? And, and you've gone over this, but let's just like kind of put it in like a few nuggets of wisdom as a last inspiration. So what would you say is the greatest relationship hack for hacking happiness in a relationship? What is the hack? What are the hacks? What are the nuggets? What's the wisdom you want to leave the audience with? Yeah, um, I would say having a deep spiritual toolkit to use on yourself. So when you're getting plugged in, when you're getting angry, you're not reacting. You're not doing knee jerk things. You know, something starts to go sour. You say, you know what? I need a time out. Mm -hmm. And then you go and do something to get yourself back to heart neutrality. You know, for me, it might be a lavender bath or a walk around the block or some deep breathing or my heart math you know, app on my phone or whatever it is, I will go and get myself to neutral. I'll see if I can figure out what triggered me here. What is it that I need? And then I'll go to my partner and I'll say, hey, you know what? Let me know when you have 10 minutes. You know, let's see if we can talk it through. And then I'll just, you know, let's say we're going to go for a walk. I'll just say, listen, I know how much you love me. And I know you would never do anything purposely to make me feel bad. And when you said ABC, I really felt XYZ. And then you stop talking, you shut up, not another word. And you let, give them a chance because chances are you misinterpreted what they said, yes. right? And yes. then if they say, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's not really what I meant. I meant this. Oh, thank you. And then you give them a hug and you move on. You don't get to bring up the thing from yesterday. right? All right. You're done. You're complete. It's finished. Yes. So for me, it's all about, again, personal responsibility. Owning. You know, owning owning the stuff. Because if you're plugged in, it's not all their fault. Yeah. Owning. Doing that work. Being honest. Yeah. Saying this. Being Taking that time to articulate, this is how I'm feeling. And then to share it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So. Once again, how can people find you? How can they find your 5,000 sure. books? Um, my website is soulmatesecret.com, soulmatesecret.com. And there's a tab on there called free stuff. So there's lots of cool free stuff. Also, when you go there, there's a pop-up. I have a free online dating guide that has everything you absolutely need to know to be successful dating online. And it's all there. And if you sign up for anything, I'll send you my once a week newsletter that's filled with tips on finding love and keeping love. Okay. Wonderful. And as always, everybody can find me at the relationship expert.com. Arielle, you are just, you're incredible. You're a legend. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Um, I know that so many people look up to you as do I, and it's going to be so inspirational for the viewers. So 
Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. And and thank you being available to all the people who need a great therapist and a great coach, because we can't do this alone. It's not, we were not built with the skills to make a relationship work on our own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's important to ask for help. Yes. So I agree. So thank you so much. And everybody join us every week, 2 p.m. Pacific, Love Talk Live on LA Talk Radio. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. Bye. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.